the market itself is very chaotic right now. But I do think that it's going to segment off. And I think that there are going to be a significant portion of the population will want to get back to what they called normal before COVID came. Welcome to the QSR Media Podcast, where industry leaders discuss the store of the future through a customer experience lens. And now, here are your hosts, Justine Charton and Chris Mavris. And welcome to the first podcast from QSR Media in partnership with Fingermark. For this episode, we'll be tackling the store of the future. We'll be looking at this topic through the customer experience lens. I'm Justine Charlton, editor of QSR Media. Joining me today as co-host is Chris Navaris. Many of you will know Chris from his days with Soul Origin. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. I look forward to having a chat with everyone on this podcast and entertaining those people having tuning in to listen to us. Experts to discuss the topic today, Scott Morente. Now, Scott is the VP of Customer Experience at Fingermark. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. And Clovis Young, founder and CEO of MadMex. Welcome, Clovis. Yeah, thanks, Justine. Super excited to be here and I love the topic. Great. To get this started, for both panelists, in broad terms, where are we now in terms of the store of the future, looking at it through a customer experience lens? You know, the mobile and digital ordering segment of the marketplace has really, really come on in the last few years and much more so in the last year or so. I'm not quite sure why, but we've seen a lot of big increase in digital orders, both in uh, third-party delivery, first-party delivery, and in uh, digital mobile order ahead and curbside service. It's been a, it's been a big, uh, big push in the last year and I don't see that going away anytime soon. Now, I should mention to all the people listening to this today that Scott, that you're sitting in the States. That's true. I'm uh, thousands and thousands of miles away in several time zones. Yeah, that's right. So you also, you'll have a global perspective and a particularly a, an American perspective as well on today's discussion. Primarily uh, spent most of my career in the U.S. The last four or five years, uh, I've done a lot of work in Europe. Uh, I'm still w- waiting to get over to uh, to see you guys in Australia. Well, let's hope let's hope that sometime soon. Okay, Clovis, can you give me your comments on this whole store of the future concept? I think Australia is a, a bit different from the U.S. I think those differences will become clear, and I, and I'm, I look forward to having a conversation around what we see from that perspective. We are definitely in the midst of a creative destruction process that kind of kicked off uh, before COVID. You know, I think uh, Mackers came into the marketplace with the ordering kiosks, which really disrupted kind of a fundamental premise of what food operations, food retail operations look like. Um, and the delivery partners have had a massive impact. So I think there is a seismic shift going on, um, but I don't know that it's it's clear how it will resolve. I think we've got some great ideas about what is working and what's not working and some interesting uh, learnings along the way. One of my teasers is I, um, I've been surprised at how the ordering kiosk is actually maybe not been as successful as we all kind of thought it would be in the beginning. So I think there is a there is a lot of ambition and a lot of energy to try to figure out what the customer experience is that delivers the customer value proposition that then makes you know, the future store work. And some of these things are gonna work, some of them aren't. Um, and the kiosk I think is one that oddly or interestingly 
appears not to be as uh, as good as we thought it would be in the beginning. And I think that comes back to this premise, which is the customer experience is still a really powerful thing. Um, and you can get a customer experience through your phone or through a tablet, but you don't necessarily have a great experience. You have a different experience. So that then defines the context of, you know, what customers are looking for in different environments. So I think we are, you know, we're nowhere, we're probably at the halfway line of what, you know, of what this store of the future looks like. And we're probably five years away from really understanding how these technologies um, integrate into what customers want. Uh, Scott, would you add anything to that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, integration of different technologies is just really start, we're just really starting to scratch the surface on the, di on the different directions that we can go. Uh, the uh, different kinds of AI that have, that have started popping up voice, uh, natural language processing, mix that with geofencing, mix that with uh, computer vision. It's pretty amazing where things could get to if they ever got everything to talk to each other. Just jumping in there, lads, I've got a question for you all. You, you spoke about the different ordering, the, the self-serve checkouts and that, and more to you, Clovis, are you finding that different day parts, you see more usage of those options? So. If there's a big queue in your store, do you see people heading towards those other options? So what is their preference? Well, it is interesting. I think human beings' preference is to do what they've always done. And there is a, there's a static nature. So what we've seen then is with these kind of disruptions, you know, I, I famously said Australia would rather uh, go to the dentist than use a QR code. And that was a fact for 10 years. And then COVID hit. And everyone, everyone's using a QR code. So these external forces do shift the way our, that we engage with technology. We have an ordering app where you can order your food and then collect it from you know, the shop or it can be handed to you on the street. That had very low uptake and then COVID hits and that uptake has, you know, it's up 600% in the last uh, two months in this lockdown. So people do adapt to the circumstances, but generally speaking, there's kind of a, you know, a body in motion stays in motion. So to get people to change without these external forces is probably harder. Uh, day part wise, you know, certainly the, the delivery business is, you know, just a monster at night. I think people feel a bit, a bit guilty spending the money at lunch, although we are seeing in lockdown periods, people will spend money at lunch. Um, and I think breakfast, again, probably even less so. So I think when things go back to normal, the dinner piece will remain, the lunchtime piece will fall away because uh, psychologically, we just don't feel like we deserve to spoil ourselves before we've gotten to the end of the day. At the end of the day, we're all so tired that we just want food and we don't care what it costs. Instant gratification. Absolutely. Instant gratification with, with minimal effort, right? It's the idea of being able to sit on your couch and it just shows up. I think it's a it's a pretty interesting phenomenon. And actually, I think that the lockdown probably is really what sustained it for lunchtime. Without people in offices, they're sitting at their house. That's where it's going to come. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. Um, you know, the the trend from traditional cafes to drive-through restaurants in the call it the seventies and eighties and nineties, that was based on this idea that convenience trumps everything else. Um, and then the success of the delivery businesses like Domino's and Pizza Hut and other kind of pure play delivery businesses uh, then brought that convenience factor up one more level. So I think what the trend is, if you wanted to see, you know, what's the story of the future, the, the story of the future is going to be whatever delivers the convenience factor that makes our lives easier. And what we're seeing now is that, you know, the delivery piece is kind of flourishing. 
Um, what is the future of convenience? I think that's an interesting thought or question. Something I would like to add in there, these millennials that are glued to their phones and digital, it's helped the uptake of these other options that we're all exploring at the moment. And it's all about them. And I think the smart brands will ensure that their platforms make it all about them rather than their own brand in some ways. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. One of, the, one of the thoughts that just comes to mind when you say that is we're used to a level of technology service that is amazing, right? We're used to getting on our phone and pressing Amazon Prime and within 45 minutes, some guy shows up with a new sweater. And in, in America, that's genuinely the case. In Australia, now it's still 24 hours or a day or two. You know, Iconic can do it in you know six hours. And this is where hospitality, I think, gets caught out a bit is we're used to this amazing level of service uh, based on these, these kind of global platforms. And then you take the restaurant industry, which has 300 different point of sale providers. The technology is highly bifurcated and if you were to go to Google and say, uh, you know, Google, can you please just turn your AI on? I want to be able to say, I'm driving home. I want to say, hey, Google, order my favorite Mad Max. I want three burritos and two Cokes and, you know, and, uh, and have that delivered to my house. Google says, no problem, we can do that. And then they work out that they actually can't communicate to the restaurant because the restaurant is one of 500 different software platforms. So there is something missing in our ecosystem, which is a you know kind of a, a communicating standard that then allows all of the restaurants and all the cafes to plug into these big platforms. But there is a, a real block on, on what's between us and that future state that's probably more convenient than what we have today. There's a big movement in the uh, uh, in the industry here in the U.S. There's a lot of networks out there. Uh, one of them is the Restaurant Technology Network, really pushing the idea of an open API that could be used across all these platforms. I don't know how far it's going to get because there are so many. I think the key is going to be figuring out the best way to navigate that middleware integration that, that that's out there right now. I think online ordering companies are going to end up taking over that space because they'll end up becoming the customer facing piece. And I think if you, if you then follow that line of thinking and you say, well, we all have these kind of traditional style of point of sale systems. Some of them are cloud-based, some of them are hard infrastructure. There will probably become a tipping point when we will all need to find that solution that is open to the API, whether that forces us to go work with one of the major cloud providers or whether that means that the point of sale providers will invest heavily to make sure that they are also part of that future paradigm. You know, I think, I think we'll see a, a real consolidation on the, at the restaurant level of the variety of platforms, because fundamentally the technology will need to do things that it doesn't do today. And if, if your platform doesn't do it, all of us on the operator side will have to change platforms to make sure we're part of the future ecosystem. So now I just want to go back and talk about the physical store design a little bit. And what do you think needs to be considered in terms of the store of the future for the physical store design, the in-store experience? Um, I'd love to jump on this one because I'm, I'm a big believer that uh, humanity and human beings still want what they've always wanted. Um, I think the restaurant as a bricks and mortar experience is not going away. So what do people want in that environment? I think they do want what they can't get in that delivery space or at home. They want a place to stay. They want a place to socialize. They want an environment where they can experience whatever the brand experience is. So if it's a comfortable place to lounge around and have 
two bottles of wine, there will be places that deliver that. If, if it's about going in and, and getting a quick meal that you feel good about and you can have a chat with your friends or you can get online and you can do some work, whatever that customer experience is, the, the bricks and mortar store is critical and much more important in the food and beverage space than it is in any other kind of segment of retail. Just on that point, Clovis, I'd agree with you 100%. There's also the food tastes better when it comes out of the kitchen straight to your table as well. So not taking away from delivery, but there's nothing like a hot meal coming straight off the grill, straight into your table as well. So there's that quality and that experience which adds to that as well, Clovis. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's a great point. And I, you know, this is self-promotion because Mad Max model is that you build the food with your customer. Inter, it's an interactive process like uh, Chipotle in the US has the same model. And then you then take that food and you sit down. So there is an interaction, there's an experience, there's the customization, there's the sense of uh, participating in the experience. Um, and I think when you go online and you order, uh, you, you, you press a bunch of buttons and then something materializes at your front door, a lot of that engagement, that interaction disappears. So I guess where we see the restaurant experience is to continue to dial up those, those experiences and that interaction. Um, and I think that's, you know, the other trend that we see in the marketplace, and I think me and you is a, a fantastic business. Me and you, they've got a fob on the table, you scan the app. The app allows you to place your entire order on your phone. So you've, you kind of have a virtual delivery model, but from inside the restaurant experience. Um, and that is super efficient. It's got low contact, it's social distancing, um, and it actually helps restaurants compete on a cost perspective. So there's some really, really valuable things happening there. But my sense is that if I'm going to make the effort to leave my place of residence, I'm going to sit down. I don't want that experience. I want the other experience. I want to have the engagement. I want to, I want to have a, a fun, cheeky waiter or waitress. I want to have that experience. I want to have the dialogue. I want human connection. And I think the restaurant experience has to continually upgrade the level of human experience and interaction and make that meaningful and fun and a positive. Because if you don't do that, then you are, then you might as well just order online and have it delivered to your house. And just adding to that, I think with all the lockdowns that we're experiencing now in Australia, and Scott, I know you were experienced them a little bit earlier in COVID than us, we can see that people don't want to stay home and they do want that human interaction. And it's important for us as human beings because it's part of who we are and what we crave. I think absolutely. The key is going to be figuring out how to deliver that with the, and I'm not sure if they're experiencing this in, the, uh, in your area but in the U.S. right now, the labor market is absolutely completely squashed. Finding talent, finding people to be able to deliver that experience has been a significant challenge. Um, and, the, and the people that they are able to find are a lot more expensive than they were 12, 13 months ago. So I think that there's got to be a, a happy medium somewhere, some way to take away maybe some of the more transactional aspect of interacting with the customer. Um, make that something that you can automate or use technology to, to filter out and then maybe have more of a personal connection uh, in other ways. So I, I think that there's got to be a, a balancing there of how those things uh, are going to interact. Um, I'm, I'm still waiting to see. We may be a little further down the path here, but I'm still waiting to see what happens on the other side of this. Um, there is a section of the population that is looking for absolute minimal contact. Um, and it hasn't changed even when we opened up some. So I'm really interested to see how things play out. I think it is, it is about 
courses for courses. It is about solutions. And uh, we as operators need to find the multiple touch points, the different ways that people can choose to interact. So there is there is no doubt that there are people who would prefer to order on their phone sitting in the restaurant. And there are people that want to go up and have that. So how do we bridge, you know, how do we bridge that complexity and deliver something that's still cost effective, it's fast, it's efficient, and we have a high NPS score with the, I want to order on my iPad, and I have a high NPS score for the customer who wants to have the interaction. Um, I think that is the crux of the challenge that we as operators have to deal with and come to terms with over the next couple of years. And I just wanted to jump in there. In Australia, Scott, our labor costs are significantly higher than what you guys experience in the U.S., And I would say, Clovis, and you can probably jump in here, we are probably the most efficient users in the hospitality industry in the world of labor. Would you agree with that statement? I think that is 100% true. And I think we've looked at businesses that are successful in the US, and then they've looked at modeling their business in Australia, and they realize that there's no way they can compete. Um, So I think you're 100% right. The caveat, and I think what Scott's about to tell you, is that that used to be the paradigm. But the U.S., the average minimum wage used to be $7, and now it's rapidly going to $15. And at $15 U.S. versus uh, kind of $25 Aussie, it's actually not that big a difference. So I think the impact on how American businesses run their operations will be probably bigger than the impact that, because we're used to it, and the American companies and businesses are struggling now to figure out how to come to terms with this. That's absolutely correct. Uh, We have uh, people who are starting at a wage that even four or five years ago was something that you paid a manager. Um, And and these are kids who are coming in at 14, 15 years old, starting in the business uh, at a a wage level that we hadn't seen here in the US. Now, interestingly enough, I think that there are going to be a lot of people who are are going to try and follow the Australian model on how to do efficiency. And um, I'm looking forward, like I said, I'm looking forward to see how that manifests itself here. Right now, they're struggling, uh, and the 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 struggle is apparent in the uh, in the way that the food's delivered. But there are little little beacons of hope that pop out, and you start to see some things that really really are doing well. Chick Fil A is a model here in the in the U.S. of unbelievable volume that's still being delivered at a very high quality level. Scott, I got a quick question for you, which is you mentioned AI and the ability to interpret language and how that's going to leverage. And I think because the U.S. is the U.S. There's more focus on that, and we're probably always going to come in um, as a follower, not a leader in that space. Is there is there kind of a vision that you see now applying that framework of costs and also recognizing this is still a bricks and mortar business? Where does that technology potentially live in a bricks and mortar business? Uh, I think we mentioned, we talked a little bit earlier about where kiosks have come in and, and not necessarily hit the mark up to this point. Uh, we talked a little bit about how drive to is going to function. Right now, with all of the multitasking that has to take place, I think that what you're going to see with natural language is going to be a little bit of modifying the interface with these technologies like the kiosk, like your mobile ordering. It's very easy to take an order inside of the kiosk using NLP at this point. So my thought is that you're going to walk up to a kiosk and instead of having a touch screen with a bunch of pictures on it, you're going to talk to a face. And that face is going to take your order just like a, a cashier would. And that, that technology exists today. Uh, it just hasn't been implemented properly, I think. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I, and I think there's something in that. And if you layer in the idea that they also recognize you and say, hey, um, last time you were here, you had the double chicken burger. Do you feel like that again? Or are you feeling a bit frisky and you want to try something else? 
all of a sudden that interaction changes dramatically. Because if you just want, and a lot of people, we know this from our, our, our stats, 65% of our customers will probably get the same thing almost every single time they come in. And then the other 35% need to try everything on the menu before they're satisfied and they go back to the original thing they tried. So um, all of that then does get picked up by AI. So again, we're delivering that customer experience for that customer meeting their needs, right? Absolutely. Personalization is going to be the key. You mentioned, uh, Chris, Gen X, the millennials. Uh, the millennials are all about personalization. They want something that's theirs, right? Uh, so if you can if you can leverage the technology to give them something that's a little bit personal, not necessarily uh, gathering all of their data and information, although it seems like that generation is a little bit more forward about giving that up. I think that that benefits right off the bat. People walk in and they'll be able to say, hey, you know, I've got... Uh, Hey Chris, welcome back. Here's your uh, here's your order last time. Do you want to? Are you going to go with the same thing again? That's huge. Scott, you you touched on just before that. You spoke about AI and the face greeting you as a computer rather than as um, you know in your space the drive through and ensuring the efficiencies that drive through are delivering. When do you see that coming in in the drive through model rather than someone through a speaker? the face, the number plate of the car that's slinked in to deliver that bespoke experience and using the technologies that you guys are using around drive-through to make that happen more efficiently. Uh, I think the key is that we're going to start reaching further out and further out from the restaurant. So um, I think that you're going to find a solution probably in the next few years, and I'm not saying we're working on it or not, but the idea of driving uh, on your way to a restaurant, being recognized that you're on the way to that restaurant, placing an order through your car speaker, having that order taken, whether that's taken by an AI or somebody at a call center or somebody in the actual restaurant really doesn't matter. Networking makes that completely feasible. And then getting rid of the first in and first out mode of uh, uh, drive-through, having the drive-through sequence dynamically based on your arrival time uh, using geofencing. Uh, and then tracking that customer once they arrive on the property right up to the point where the food is delivered. And I can see a day where you're driving down the road and it says, hi, welcome to Mad Max. Can I take your order? And you say, I'll have what I had last time. And they say, okay, great. Uh, you're on your way right now. Yep, I'm on my way. We, the system starts tracking you, dynamically changes the order of orders on the uh, expediting screen recognizes you ride on the property. You drive by the drive-through window. They hold your bag out the window. You've already paid for it. You grab your bag and you keep going. You may not even have to stop. It's a scary proposition. One of the thoughts that comes to mind whenever I think about the amounts of investments in technology and the scale required for these things is how does that then cascade down from the very big players to people like Mad Max, which you know we're kind of a mid-sized business, still probably can play in this world, but then down to the one-off mom and pop cafes and restaurants and uh, call it the little guys, you know, which is really a massive piece of what hospitality is and a big piece of our industry, probably more so in Australia than the US where the big guys have already kind of managed to squeeze out the little guys. And I guess my fear is that somehow the little guys aren't able to keep up. And then that would be a disaster, not from a, a business perspective, but just from a, as someone who lives in, in our society and wants that experience of being able to go to owner-operated places that are in the neighborhood. 
so I, you know, there is a real interesting question in my mind as to how how this plays out, and my hope is that that it doesn't squeeze out the you know the entrepreneurs, the the one-off people, because um, the bridge or the gap between the investment needed to make these things happen um, keeps getting bigger. You know, when we started Mad Max, we had a website that cost me ten thousand dollars, and I didn't have any other technology spend. Now I'm spending $150,000 a year just to make sure I'm keeping up with the Joneses. And that's certainly a number that's far outside of the capacity of most small businesses. So um, maybe it will be in the form of uh, generic solutions that come through those cloud platform providers, which then is a really strong argument for the cloud platform providers being the obvious and only real choice for, for small businesses. Um, but I'm curious to hear what you think on that, because it is a... Yep. Can I jump in just before Scott does go into that? But Clovis, just to your point, we used to spend a lot more money on letterbox, drop, letterbox drops and a lot more traditional marketing. So I don't know, Scott, you jump in after I've had my two cents worth, but it, is it a reallocation of the spend that a business should be spending on marketing itself rather than an extra spend? Because I think you can reach more people with less dollars these days than you could in the past. I would I would agree with that. You know, people have are more connected to the businesses around them than they ever have been. But I do think that more generic cloud platform that readily accessible to multiple restaurants. Uh, you know, you look in the uh, uh, in the U.S. the growth of a, a platform like Toast. You know, if you go into any restaurant up and down, well, I'll call it Highway Eight, right behind my house, most of them are running with a website online ordering, delivery, as well as uh, uh, pickup in the store. They're now doing contactless pay right at the, at, at the table. And that, that's new in the US. I know that's been everywhere else for a long time, but they have all of these, uh, these features and these are, these are mom and pop shops, but they're doing it all through one platform that's offering it all of them for that one location. And I think that it's expensive, but that level of convenience, it certainly carried a lot of these places through the lockdowns of the, of the last year where they had no other way to reach their customers. They didn't want to have, you know, people aren't picking up the phone and calling anymore, at least not here. And when they do, it's a, it's a quick, let me put your, your order in, in in the same system that they would be using. They use the online order. Great, guys. Well, that sort of wraps up the topic. I think that um, we've had a really good 360-degree look at the greater topic of the store of the future and what it's going to look like from now and what it could potentially look like in 5, 10, 15 years' time. So does anyone have any more final comments on the topic? I just think that the market itself is very chaotic right now, but I do think that it's going to segment off, and I think that there are going to be a significant portion of the of the population will want to get back to what they called normal b before COVID came. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be looking for ultra convenience with the sacrifice of other things that, that people might normally enjoy. And then there's going to be people who will play in all of those arenas. I think that there's a spot from small to large in every one of those segments. Personally, I like to go and sit down and have a nice meal uh, in, an, in an area where I can enjoy myself. Uh, and I'm looking forward to getting back to that as quickly as, uh, as we can. That, but, that, but the future is going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot on the, every edge of that, every spectrum, every, every, each end of that spectrum, you're going to see people who are ultra convenience focused and then ultra experience focused. 
And the key is going to be figuring out for the larger groups, how do I cater to both of them? And for the smaller group, it's how do I maximize my interaction with the with with my regulars, with the people that keep my business afloat? Clovis, any final comments? Yeah, and no, I think what keep, I keep coming back to a strong desire to have a bricks and mortar business, and then thinking about what we need to do to maximize that experience. So, what are we doing? Uh, are we are we spending less on the store design and the store fit out? Are we spending more? Um, and I think. We're, we're trying to find a way to bring more experience, more entertainment. We've done something recently where we we're putting a, a Mad Max fresh fuel TV in the restaurant. So we're adding infotainment components to the restaurant. So it's not just a table. It's also some entertainment, some other elements that value add beyond just a you know, place to sit and eat. So I think all of us in the operations side of the business have to think about what we're going to do to make our restaurant, a honeypot that makes it more attractive than just a functional service, because functional service is definitely going to be absorbed into these other platforms and other ways of other ways of being. I'd just like to add that, you know, we all work in hospitality and that's about being hospitable. And it's very hard to be hospitable over technology. Yes, you can do it. Um, however, it is the essence of what we do, yourself and I, Clovis, that it's about people. And if brands focus on people and their customers and keep that as their number one priority and incorporate all these technologies, you know, AI where you talk to your phone and say, I'm coming to get my burrito and, you know, your phone tracks you through the GPS and then the number plate scanner scans when you get into the car park and you drive through and you reach your hand out without talking to anyone, um, that's... I don't think that's far away. And to your point, Scott, I agree with you. Um, the market will adapt and, and incorporate that into their model. However, I think it's important that brands, big and small, stay true to who they are and ensure that all parts of the customer experience is exactly the same in as much as possible. And that, I think, is the key to integrating all these technologies in what you, you do as a brand. Well, that's a really nice comment to finish up on and a positive comment to finish up on. So thank you very much, Scott and Clovis, for your time today. Thank you, Chris, for being my co-host. And that's it from today's QSR Media podcast. We'll be back with more news, views, insights from the QSR industry soon. I'm Justine Charlton, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our channel in Spotify, Apple and Google Podcast. For more information, check out qsrmedia.com.au.